tonight on Ithaca Now. Elections swept the nation and upstate New York early this week. New York State's Constitution is somewhat unique in that since 1846, it has given the people an extra opportunity to amend our own state constitution. Decarcerate Tompkins County is a group in Ithaca fighting for the rights of incarcerated and formerly incarcerated people. Just, just, just the basic thing. I just want to live. I want to be able to lay in my bed and mind and turn the channel on the TV or something, you know? I don't got none of those luxuries. It's really hard. A guns rights speaker visited Ithaca College's campus on Thursday. And it's going to be primarily peaceful. We're doing a couple graphic, visually appealing, visually striking posters. And we spoke with Karen Pastorello, a Tompkins Cortland Community College professor and the author of Women Will Vote. All that and more tonight on Ithaca Now. Good evening, and welcome to Ithaca Now. I'm your host, Peter Champelli, and thank you for joining us. For tonight's show, WICB correspondents Bridget Bright and Taylor Milliken look into activism group Decarcerate Tompkins County and how their work is affecting individuals in Ithaca. But first, we'll turn to Madison Moore and Annika Kushner with this week's Community Beat. The social enterprise Solstice is initiating a campaign to enroll central New York households and small businesses in one of three new community solar projects this week. The projects are owned by local developer Delaware River Solar, and each project will occupy 11 acres and provide energy for over 400 households. Many worry about the environmental impact of using so much land for panels, but others are looking forward to lower costs and more renewable energy. The Tompkins County Democratic Committee, alongside the County League of Women Voters, will hold a forum for all seven Democratic challengers in the 23rd District this Thursday. The seven candidates will discuss issues that affect the district and how they plan to defeat Tom Reed in 2018. Reed is the current Republican representative for the 23rd District and has held this position since 2013. The 50-year-old Cayuga Ridge Healthcare Facility will be undergoing renovations starting in January, adding 50 new jobs. The renovations include external changes like new parking lots, sidewalks, courtyards, windows and doors, as well as internal changes to bathrooms, patient rooms, and more. The goal for the project's completion is March 2019. Ithaca College administration might give paid family leave to faculty starting in 2018. This is due to a statewide law that applies to all full-time and part-time workers, but not to private educators. The Ithaca College Contingent Faculty Union is asking the college to adopt the specific family leave policy for this new law, according to the Ithacan. A new program called Harmonicas for Health just put on their first performance Thursday. The program helps people with asthma and chronic obstructive pulmonary disease to control and strengthen their lungs because the harmonica requires breathing in and then exhaling against resistance. Piloted by the Tompkins County Health Department, the program also includes instruction on how to manage the disease and take medication correctly. The new Ithaca Parks and Recreation Master Plan was released Wednesday night to the Planning and Economic Development Committee. This new plan restructures how the city parks are currently managed and how to secure more funding for park maintenance. They are also looking to partner with nonprofit organizations as a possible funding method or through the community's willingness to contribute more public funding. For Madison Moore, I'm Annika Kushner, WICB News.
This past Tuesday was Election Day, and this brought some changes to county and city government. WICB correspondent Vaughn Golden was at the party home bases on Tuesday night and brings us a full recap. Overall, no changes in party control over the county. The Dems kept hold of the county legislature. The body now welcomes Henry Granison, Ann Corman, and Amanda Champion. Lansing Republican Mike Sigler held his own against Mike Kaplink-Lelure, 54 to 46 percent. Out in Dryden, a lot of drama ensuing over the supervisor and town council races there. Jason Leifert, Kathy Servos, and Dan Lamb held the council against the Republican challengers led by Bruno Schickel. After one of the more divisive races in the county, both candidates still have one common goal. What really needs to happen now, those towns got to come together. We have this great rail trail project, which is the whole point is to connect all the communities in the town. Um, you know, Mr. Schickel's been a great help on that. I hope he continues uh, because that is the one thing that's going to last beyond the time all of us are alive. There is still one race that is too close to call. That's the Lansing Town Council. Only 13 votes separate the Democrats from grabbing a seat. It's going to take a few days, if not weeks, for the County Board of Elections to verify those absentee ballots. And taking a look at the Constitutional Convention vote, it was one that didn't separate by blue or red. Either way, the answer was a clear no. Well, it uh, certainly is disappointing. Uh, there have been a lot of folks that have been uh, working for a number of years to try to educate the public on the, uh, the issue of a Constitutional Convention. Uh, so I'm very relieved at the result of the vote. It sounds like statewide uh, it's gone down. It's gone down in Tompkins County. Um, I made the argument that, uh, you know, we have a very good Constitution, lots of important protections in that Constitution, um, and to open it up to a convention is, to putting, is putting those things at risk. Assemblywoman Barbara Lifton and County Legislature Chair Michael Lane there. The CONCON was voted down by 78% of New Yorkers. There are far too many races to cover right here. Make sure you check them all out at WICB.org. Also, if you didn't vote this year, the 2018 election is coming up. There are congressional primaries at the end of June as well as a general election again in November. For WICB News, I'm Vaughn Golden. One thing up for vote was the possibility of a constitutional convention in New York State. This was voted down on Tuesday, but leading up to the vote, I worked with ICTV Newswatch reporter Emily Chavez to learn more about what this vote meant. Today, New Yorkers are asked to vote on an issue that comes up every 20 years, whether to have a constitutional convention or not. With the option of having a constitutional convention appearing on the ballot, many New Yorkers say no thank you. According to a poll released by Siena College, 57% of statewide voters are opposed to holding the convention, while only 25% said they'll vote yes. 67% of the voters believe the constitutional convention would be too expensive. The numbers are upwards of $300 million. But Henrik Delia supports a constitutional convention. New York State's constitution is somewhat unique in that since 1846, it has given the people an extra opportunity to amend our own state constitution. Delia is a constitutional convention scholar who attended the last convention in 1967. You know, the United States Supreme Court had just come down with a very big decision, which was that legislative districts should be apportioned based solely on population. This is the so-called one-man, one-vote 
decision. And that upended the structure of the New York State Legislature. If the vote is not approved, I think it's going to be another 20 years before we'll see some of these fundamental changes occurring. The legislature will not consider an end to gerrymandering. It won't consider term limits. It won't adopt strong ethics procedures. After polling closes tonight, we'll see if we'll have a convention in the future. It's very difficult to uh, think of the vote passing because all the incumbent legislators almost are opposed. All of the special interests are opposed. Follow WICB News on Twitter to see live results from the election and tune in tomorrow morning for a full recap of the results. For ICTV Newswatch reporter Emily Chavez, I'm Peter Champelli, WICB News. We'll be right back after a short break. Coming up, we'll hear about decarcerate Tompkins County. You're listening to Ithaca Now on 91.7 FM. One-to-one Big Brothers Big Sisters of the Ithaca Youth Bureau is looking for men to volunteer as mentors for children of the Ithaca community. In as little as two hours per week, you can help a child develop interests, learn new skills, and have a great time. Young men with positive male mentors have been shown to do better in school, stay away from risky behaviors, and have more self-confidence. Get involved today by visiting bbbsithaca.org or by calling 607-273-8364. This message brought to you by WICB Ithaca. Decarcerate Tompkins County is a group in Ithaca that fights for the rights of incarcerated and formerly incarcerated individuals. WICB correspondents Bridget Bright and Taylor Milliken talked with people involved in this organization. Yeah, that's just one little small thing that makes you feel like you don't feel human anymore. And how is that supposed to help us, help our society at all? The people you are listening to are Lily Gershon and Galvin Lawson with Decarcerate Tompkins County. These people are dealing with issues that aren't talked about that much in the mainstream media. They say that people who are incarcerated or formerly incarcerated are struggling to even feel human while facing their situation. Decarcerate Tompkins was formed to create a positive change for those people. And so far, they've been successful. In 2017, county government wanted to expand the Tompkins County Jail, but Decarcerate Tompkins County campaigned against this expansion and eventually stopped these plans. Our main goal at the time was to stop the expansion of the Tompkins County Jail, which was on the table because uh, the SCOC was saying that we needed a bigger jail in Tompkins County. Despite the fact that crime levels were going down and, um, and that we wanted to have more alternative alternatives to incarceration. That was Lily Gershon, a member of Decarcerate Tompkins. She says she wants to understand and help resolve problems that incarcerated and formerly incarcerated people in Ithaca face. Even though it feels like progress, a lot of us believe that uh, real progress is going to come from grassroots, so from, from making relationships and talking to and hearing, more importantly, people who are actually directly affected. Decarcerate Tompkins got a lot of momentum from accomplishing their initial goal, but that was only on the organizational level. These issues with incarceration affect real people's lives, and not just when they're in jail. 
To try to understand this more, we talked with Galvin Lawson. He is dealing with the unexpected struggles that go along with being formerly incarcerated. And he gave us an honest look at what he and people like him deal with every day. It's mostly homelessness. Um, that's that's overwhelming in this in this town because the percentage of homelessness in Ithaca is way higher than the percentage of homelessness in Syracuse, New York. And Syracuse, New York is such a bigger town. Galvin says when he got out of jail, he wasn't given anything besides housing from the Department of Social Services. But he says that although the housing is intended to be helpful, it isn't for many. You know what I'm saying? You got blood everywhere. You got feces. You got, you got people having sex right in front of your face and stuff like that. I don't want to see that stuff. I don't want to go through that stuff. So I want to have something that's at least a little clean so I can be able to wash my body up. I can't wash my body inside somewhere where there's this black mold inside the, the bathtub and you know, you know what I'm saying? It just, it just disgusts me to even go in the bathroom. You got to hover because you don't want to touch nothing. You know, I just want to live a regular life. You have just the basic thing. This was only one instance of these issues that Galvin mentioned. The quality of the house was so bad that Galvin moved to the streets. He said being homeless was better than living in the county-provided housing. We reached out to the Department of Social Services, and we will follow up with their response. Just, just with just the basic things. I just want to live. I want to, want to be able to lay in my bed and wind and turn the channel on the TV or something. You know, I don't got none of those luxuries. It's really hard. Both Lily and Gavin said that the conditions in those environments only perpetuate criminal activity, and it restricts people from having a normal life after incarceration. They mentioned that there are many programs that are set up in Ithaca to help the formerly incarcerated beyond housing. But Galvin says that they are not helpful for everyone. Plus, there's no help. They got all these programs out here and not really helping people out like that. I mean, they're helping certain people like the mental health people or people that's having drug problems and stuff like that. But people don't have those type of problems. What about those type of people? Yeah. And the segregation of assistance is just one observation. So suppose you had a drug problem. You want to be clean. You go to a place where you're supposed to get help. And all around that place, the people who are hanging out there are people who are offering you the drug that you're trying to avoid. And it's become so much harder. It's just like you're trying to be vegetarian and the only thing you've got is a buffet full of meat all around you and you're supposed to resist that. So it's very difficult when we want to take uh, people who are struggling and we want to push them into a corner somewhere where that's the area where they go. By listening to experiences like Galvin's, Decarcerate Tompkins County is reevaluating their mission in order to create a new goal that will help the most people. For example, right now, um, one thing we're pushing for, which I do think is a good thing, it's called the LEAD program. And it's a program that to be an alternative to jail so that a police officer, uh, when there's a situation, can, instead of sending someone to jail, can, can look at this person and say, oh, you're a good candidate for this other program that will keep you out of jail. And beyond this structural change, Decarcerate Tompkins is making change on a more personal level. Members of the group work at the Multicultural Resource Center in Ithaca with people like Galvin. The people that work here make food in their own kitchen with their own ingredients and their own food from their pocket and bring it here so a person like me can have a meal, at least one meal a day, you know what I mean? That, I mean, that's good, man. That makes me feel... Make me feel wanted, make me feel like a person, you know what I'm saying? Not like an animal no more. Decarcerate Tompkins is an example of a local group looking to change the structural systems that are affecting the people of Ithaca. 
And by working with other nonprofits, like the Multicultural Resource Center, the group is focusing more and more on their goals for the future. For contributing reporter Taylor Milliken, I'm Bridget Bright, WICB News. Larry Pratt, a guns rights activist, visited Ithaca College on Thursday and spoke on firearms as a human right. WICB correspondent Harrison Malkin got all the perspectives at Thursday's event. They wanted to really talk to you. I thought there was a real uh, exchange, um, and it was extremely uh, polite, and, uh, and for that reason, I think it probably got a lot of information out. That's Larry Pratt, the executive director emeritus of Gun Owners of America. The Southern Poverty Law Center calls him a gun rights extremist and a pivotal figure in the militia movement. This week, he came to Ithaca College's campus and delivered a speech called Firearms Are a Human Right in Texter Hall on Thursday evening. And leading up to the event, the campus was stirring surrounding accusations that he's a white nationalist and a conspiracist. And this is not fake news. Pratt's conservative agenda and efforts extend beyond gun rights. He was the executive director of the American Conservative Union at 28, and he was a delegate and a Virginia legislator and co-chair of Pat Buchanan's 1996 presidential run. Tom Diaz, a former analyst at the Violence Policy Center, once said, quote, The NRA describes itself as a religion, and Larry Pratt is the snake handler, unquote. At one point on Thursday, Pratt's event capped out at 100 attendees, a diverse crowd from some people wearing Make America Great Again hats to some of my fellow leftist friends. But as Pratt took the stage, a different organized event had already begun. In the week leading up to the event, a group of students organized a protest called Show Up for Gun Control. Joe Anthony Cruz, an Ithaca College junior, was one of the organizers. The protest is going to be spearheaded uh, the night of by, I believe, Patricia Rodriguez. And it's going to be primarily peaceful. We're doing a couple graphic, visually appealing, visually striking um, posters, uh, along with my infographic that we're going to be passing out. Um, We're going to be making 27 memorials to the lives that were lost. So posters with information about who the people were, similar to Pulse. So before Pratt spoke, over 50 students lined the hallway leading to the event, holding remembrance signs of victims from the recent mass shootings in Las Vegas and in a small town in Texas. They marched to Williams Hall next door to take part in a teaching led by professors Chris Holmes and Jonathan Hammer. Natalie Shanklin, a senior at IC, told this to WICB News. She led the protest with Joe and another junior, Anna Gardner. These students came to resist Pratt's message. Others, not only the IC Republicans, came in support. I like going to these events and um, I like having conversations with people about it and trying to, my main, I, I don't care about politics as much. Mm-hmm. Um, I care about culture. Gotcha. Um, I was in the other building for the um, I guess, response to the Second Amendment one. Yeah, the, exactly. Um, and I went there, and I really liked the conversation we had in there. And I, my, my main point, my opening statement kind of was um, that I care about culture and education with firearms. And the main point is that we, we should come together and talk more. That was Frank Walter, a local and member of Young Americans for Liberty in New York State. The speech lasted around 20 minutes, but it heated up during the Q&A. A student asked why there are 20 times more gun homicides in the U.S. compared to other countries, which is proven by a University of Alabama study. Pratt responded, saying, quote, that's just not true. The student then yelled back, saying he didn't answer her question. After the Q&A, I tracked down Pratt and talked to him about the speech. 
Here's his response. That uh, something like the tragedy of Texas will kind of burn on our awareness that, you know what, there's really no place that's safe that we can assume that we don't have to be able to take certain reasonable measures to protect ourselves. And there was a whole bunch of people in the middle of South Texas, and apparently nobody had a gun. So uh, if we extrapolate from that, I, I would think that if uh, even a larger percentage of the population was walking around packing, uh, probably wouldn't be too many thugs on a college campus trying to take down that pretty little gal. Caleb Slater is the president of the IC College Republicans, and his uh, Caleb Slater, Caleb Slater is the president of the IC College Republicans, and he's the one who brought Pratt out to IC. It was political, not provocative, he says. Slater introduced Pratt wearing a suit and Make America Great Again hat. How did Caleb respond to the backlash? He said that the event didn't use any Ithaca College funds and was productive discourse in spite of some of Pratt's opinions. And this is where Caleb Slater and the protest organizers like Joe Cruz are on the same page. Caleb and I, he reached out to me after he saw me advocating uh, for high attendance at his event. And he was like, hey, listen, thanks so much. I really appreciate it, getting the word out. Um, I'd love to talk in person. We met in person. We had a great conversation. For WICB News, I'm Harrison Malkin. We'll be right back after a short break. Coming up, we'll hear from Karen Pastorello, the author of Women Will Vote. You're listening to Ithaca Now on WICB Ithaca. Hi, I'm Frank Krupp, a Tompkins County Public Health Director. Did you know that a baby's brain is growing at lightning speed and will triple in size by the end of the first year? Babies need food for their growing bodies and food for their brains to develop and make connections. The most important foods for a baby's brain are words, songs, and stories. This simple formula supports the health and well-being of every baby. Join Family Reading Partnership's community-wide campaign, Every Baby, Every Day, Talk, Sing, Read, Play. It's never too early to start, and the benefits last a lifetime. Welcome back to Ithaca Now. I'm your host, Peter Ciampelli. Karen Pastorello is a professor at Tompkins Cortland Community College, and she's the author, author of the book, Women Will Vote. WICB correspondent Benjamin Laufer sat down with Karen to learn more about her work. All right, well, thank you again for joining me today. So first, if you're able to tell me a bit about um, your background. Well, I've been teaching at Tompkins Cortland Community College for over 30 years. I've also taught part-time at SUNY Cortland and Cornell. I teach mostly American history courses, but also women's history courses and U.S. labor courses as well. And I've been working on suffrage for almost a decade now. What do you want our listeners to know about your recent book? Our recent book is celebrating the centennial of women's suffrage, which is actually today. I don't know if you knew that. It's the exact day. November 6th, 1917 is when women in New York State were recognized as having the right to vote full suffrage. It's New York State becomes the first state east of the Mississippi to grant full suffrage to women, which means they can vote all the way up to the president. So uh, let's start off by learning a bit about your writing process. Um, what did you have to go through to publish this book? Well, this book actually is a collaboration. I have a co-author, Susan Goodyear, who's a professor of history at SUNY Oneonta, and we met at the Upstate New York Women's History Organization about 10 years or so ago, and she had already started working on the anti-suffrage movement, and I was beginning to look at suffragists as workers because lots of these women, including Susan B. Anthony, 
not only did work for pay for part of their lives, but considered themselves workers when they were in the suffrage movement, some of whom, of course, survived on donations or very little pay. So we decided to pool our efforts so that we could write about the New York State movement because once we started doing a little bit of preliminary research, we realized that nobody else had done that before. Uh, what were some of the biggest challenges you encountered when writing this book? Well, anytime you write about women, it seems to be more difficult to find records. When you work, write about working class women, which we do have a chapter on working class immigrant women and also African American women, there's a separate chapter on African American women. Um, those records were extremely hard to find. These women worked most of their lives. Some were literate, some were not. Some had um, the materials to write with. Many did not. So in other words, they don't leave a lot of uh, records, written records, of their activities and of their activism. So we ended up uh, really searching hard, looking in places like newspapers, talking to family members, um, being a little bit more creative in looking at the kinds of sources we could use for those groups that unfortunately remain more relegated to the shadows than some of the maybe upper-class elite or middle-class white women and men. We looked at men as well. You mentioned earlier that today, November 6th, is the centennial for the um, women's suffrage movement. Um, but is there more than just that with the significance of this book being released? Yes. We're hoping that it calls attention to women and, and the cause of women. There's still so much work to do. We don't want the attention to end today or at the end of the year or even in 2020 with the recognition of the centennial for the 19th Amendment that was passed in 1920. We'd like our work uh, to go on. We'd like to inspire other researchers to continue to look into women's activism, women's political activism uh, in particular. Looking at just those local historical societies uh, there are over, we know of over 487 clubs, suffrage clubs, that were formed in New York State at the time the suffrage campaign was going on, and we've only identified approximately 200 of those. So the, just that alone and extrapolating material from uh, those more local sources and resources will tell, will give us another perspective um, of the story. You mentioned um, you want to continue to draw attention to um, women and um, and issues related around women's suffrage. How do you plan on doing that when, um, you know, every day the news cycle continues to break with something else that diverts uh, everyone's attention? Mm -hmm. Well, I think as a historian or as historians, Susan, as I mentioned earlier, is also a historian. We... It's our responsibility to provide some foundation for ongoing discussions, a historical foundation in particular. If we can understand where we came from, then it can give us direction for where we need to go. So really what we'd like to do is um, draw on these women and their persistence, the resistance, and especially the resiliency, and use them as examples. There, there are literally tens of thousands of women that helped in winning the right to vote just in New York State alone. So um, we'd like to be able to identify some more of these women, some of their activities, 
and issue a call to activism um, around what's going on in the current political climate today. It's easy to say there's a lot of work to do. Um, There definitely is. Women in this country still make approximately 80 cents for every dollar that men make. We don't have any kind of subsidized child care. Um, it's very hard, difficult to find affordable, available child care. We do not yet have um, paid parental leave for all Americans. New York State is in the process of changing that almost as we speak. As of January 1st next year, New York State uh, will implement a paid parental leave policy. It doesn't cover everybody, and it doesn't um, provide for full wages, but at least it's a start. So identifying some of these issues, not the least of which, of course, is uh, sexual harassment on the job, identifying them, talking a little bit about um, how they progress, where they start, how they progress through history, and how much work there still is on each of these issues is is something we can begin to do. Also, um, helping to formulate policy. I was invited by the New York State Department of Labor Commissioner, Roberta Reardon, to be part of um, a statewide effort to reach out to academics, people in nonprofits, and so on, to hear some feedback about what women's issues are and the same kinds of questions you're asking what we can do to help begin to resolve them. Women and children and family issues, actually, not just women's issues. They affect the entire family. Men are not excluded from this either. That's all we have for you for this edition of Ithaca Now. You can listen to all of our stories on WICB.org. And if you'd like to listen to past broadcasts, subscribe to us on the iTunes podcast store. And we want to hear your feedback on our show. Visit WICB.org slash feedback to give your thoughts on Ithaca Now. And before we go, we have some thank yous for tonight. Manager of Television and Radio Operations, Jeremy Menard. Our station manager, Alex Bredekin. And our correspondents, Madison Moore, Annika Kushner, Vaughn Golden, Bridget Bright, Taylor Milliken, Harrison Malkin, and Benjamin Laufer. All of the music from our show comes from Dr. Dundiff, hailing from Louisville, Kentucky. Thank you for joining us and have a wonderful week. I'm WICB News Director Peter Champelli, and you've been listening to Ithaca Now on on 92 WICB.